This is the Peter Creek Presbyterian Church Podcast. Here at Peter Creek, we honor God by making more disciples for Jesus Christ. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged with this week's message from Pastor Kelly Baldridge. The letter of Paul to the church at Ephesus. So chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. Maybe you've done what Paul has done here. He began in verse 1, we see a recording of it, a prayer. He says, for this reason. And then he gets sidetracked. He gets distracted. But it's not a bad distraction. It's not a, a distraction of what you might want to eat or something like that when you're praying. But rather, it is a distraction for the church at Ephesus. He wants them not to be discouraged, but to be encouraged, to be encouraged by the truth of the gospel, to be encouraged that the mystery that was hidden has been revealed, that they are united to God in Christ. And through that union with the Lord Jesus, they're also united to one another. That there is one people of God, the church, that God uses to display his glory to the world. And so it is a good rabbit trail that Paul chases. But now we see Paul coming back to his prayer. We know that not because he says, I pray, but he continues with that line of reasoning. For this reason, he will say, I bow my knees. And so Paul bows his knee in prayer. Paul lets us know that he's praying by the posture of his prayer. One of humble submission and worship of God that we will mention in a moment. And so now beginning today, I want to point to you a brief outline of this prayer. Though we will not cover it in its fullest uh, today. But here are some things to listen for. One, what you'll see in this prayer of Paul, the apostle, is that it is a prayer to the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In his prayer, there are three requests that he makes, and then there's a fourth request that he makes, but it's a summary request. And in this passage as well, we will find one of the most delightful of all scripture, a passage to hold on to, to hold dear. To this end we toil. Let us pray and ask the Lord's blessing on the reading of his word. Most gracious Father, we come to you in our Savior Jesus' name. And Lord, we gather as your people to hear from you. It is a joy to hear the very word of God. And Father, we pray that your spirit would guide us to the truth contained in it and that we would be changed by it. For your glory and your namesake, we pray in Jesus' name and amen. Hear the word of the Lord. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being 
So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. We began last week to look at verse 12 and to speak of the great privilege of the Christian. And in studying and working for this week, I almost feel like this is part two. And in fact, that's my title, The Great Privilege of the Christian, part two. I don't usually give you my title, but I thought it would be helpful because in this passage, Paul not only tells us last week about this great privilege, but now he models this great privilege as he prays on behalf of the Ephesian Christians. Sometimes we learn what privileges are through difficult times. Sometimes we think that we don't have anything or we we think we don't have the things that we want or the things that we desire as we were growing up. And then we look back on those times of the past and think, wow, we had so much to be thankful for. We had so many great privileges. Uh, I think of Kentucky basketball fans in this way sometimes. Yes, we can look back at the past and think of what the privileges there were for us. But we also understand that some of those privileges that we had or that we think we have as a Kentucky basketball fan, we think of the jerseys that they wear. And we think that those players should appreciate having Kentucky written on their jersey. Uh, And so we think about those kinds of things. We understand what it means to be um, part of a great organization or a great part or a a fan of a great team. And so these privileges I I have in my mind for a moment, uh, but we're going to get there. But this great privilege that we have is prayer. And in this passage, Paul actually deals with this great privilege by modeling for us a ministry that he has. Now, and here's how we're going to do this. I want to first consider an implied ministry that Paul has, an implied ministry. Meaning, he doesn't say, this is my ministry. But rather, what we see is that Paul is modeling this ministry. Verse 14, for this reason, I bow my knees. The implied ministry here that Paul has is the ministry of prayer. In fact, the apostles had two uh, ministries that were given to them. If you remember in Acts, when deacons are elected for the first time in the church, they were elected so that the apostles and then the pastors and elders after them would be able to devote their time and their efforts to two things, the ministry of the word and prayer, the ministry of the word and prayer. And so Paul speaks of an implied ministry here, and it is the ministry of prayer. For this reason, I bow my knees. It's a ministry of prayer. Now think of this. 
Paul doesn't say, I really miss preaching, so please pray that one day I'll be able to preach to you again. But yet, to these Ephesian Christians who had not heard Paul preach in person for months, perhaps even years on end, perhaps they missed his preaching. Perhaps they missed those dynamic sermons that he preached and proclaimed in the Spirit to them. But Paul doesn't pray for that. But rather, Paul understands that he has a ministry that he can still do for the Ephesians. Now think about this. Where is Paul? He's in prison. He is chained. He he doesn't have freedom. The enemy assumes that they have stopped Paul from ministering. They have stopped Paul from doing, from serving the Lord. He's no longer serving the Lord. He's under house arrest. He is in prison. His ministry is over. Now, for one thing, we know that the ministry of the word continued because he wrote Ephesians and he wrote Philippians. He wrote these prison letters. He wrote many letters that were sent out. And we read today as the church understanding that this is the word of God, the ministry of the word. But also we understand that the ministry of prayer comes to Paul. Just as Richard Lovelace wrote as a poem in the 1600s, stone walls do not a prison make, nor iron bars a cage. In other words, even though Paul was in prison, he was still free to be the one that God has called him to be. That there is still a ministry for Paul that he can pray. That he can pray on behalf of the Ephesians. That he can pray on behalf of the Philippians. That he can pray on behalf of the church. That he can pray on behalf of those Christians. And so for us even, perhaps we're getting older and, and our body is wearing down. And we feel that we can't do and, and move and, and work as we once did. And there are some who are even to the point where they are bedridden. Is there anything for them to do as a Christian? Oh, my friends, absolutely there is. To pray. To pray to seek God on behalf of the brethren. To go to the Lord in prayer. Nothing can stop you from praying. Our government, our government may try their best to stop us from meeting in a church, which is why I think it's a shame that we have so many empty pews now when we have the freedom. But the government may tell us that we cannot say this about the word of God, that we cannot speak the truth contained in the scriptures, and they may tell us to stop. And why do I know this? Why do I concern myself with this? Because there are brethren that we have that we have never met in foreign lands. For them, it is illegal for them to meet together as brothers and sisters in Christ. But even those Christians who may be in prison and awaiting their death, they're still free. Because there is a freedom in knowing that we can go to the God who loves us, the God who has saved us, the God who has changed us, the God who is in control and sovereign over all things. Do you understand stone walls do not a prison make, nor iron bars a cage? 
Paul can't preach, but he can pray. You, believer, have this ministry for yourselves. Maybe you're not able to do what you once were able to do, but you can pray. You can go to God. You can pray. Paul models this because he is also dependent upon the prayers of the Ephesians. Not only does he pray for them, but he is dependent upon their prayers. And I am dependent upon your prayers. That's why I love it when our our ushers pray and they pray for the preaching of the word that's about to happen, that they pray for me, that, that you pray for me. I'm dependent upon your prayers. This implied ministry of prayer. But it is also not to be divorced from the word of God. It's not to be divorced from the ministry of the word. It's a both and not an either or. Paul doesn't give up teaching. Remember, we have already mentioned that he writes these letters and sends them out. So the ministry of the word continues. And we were not just to pray for people, but we were also to speak the truth to them as well. Sometimes we get caught up in only doing one and not doing the other. But it is both that we are to proclaim Christ because what has Paul done in Ephesians? He has been teaching them about the glories of the gospel, the glories of their salvation, the glories of the fact that they who were deep into a pit have been brought out of that pit and are in the heavenlies with Christ. And so he speaks the truth to them, but he also prays for them. And that's one thing he has done throughout his letter is to pray that they would take to heart this teaching. It's a ministry of prayer and the word. But it's also a ministry that relies upon the Holy Spirit. You see this even in verse 16 when he says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Paul understood that if he were to see the Ephesians to be full of God, that it must be the Holy Spirit who does it. This ministry of prayer is not a ministry that relies upon ourselves, that we do not pray because we're dependent upon us. We rely upon God's spirit to move and to to work. I hope that I model this for you. This morning I felt led to pray for our children, few in number, but we love them. And our desire is to see them grow in Christ. Why did I pray that? Because in my strength I wanted to? Absolutely not. The Spirit moves us. We rely upon the Spirit. And as we pray for them, we understand that we're not depending upon those grandparents to teach them. We're not dependent upon their parents to teach them. We are dependent upon the Holy Spirit to move and to work in their lives. And so as we pray, we trust that the Spirit moves. We trust that the Spirit works. Because you'll you'll convince no one with words alone. Have you ever had someone that you're trying to win an argument with? Maybe you're trying to convince a Tennessee fan that Kentucky's better. I mean, you just point them to the facts, right? There's no convincing them. 
Now that's something to cast off because maybe sometimes we're trying to convince a family member that the gospel is the gospel, that it's good news. And we're trying to convince them that coming to Christ would be the greatest decision that they would ever make. And we come up with this reasoning, we come up with these thoughts and this thinking, we come up with these words. But you and I have to remember that we will never convince anyone to come to Christ with words alone. We rely upon the Spirit of God. The Word and prayer. Praying because we trust God to move and to work. And if we teach and we use words and we do not pray, we are doomed to fail. And so this implied ministry is the ministry of prayer. It's the ministry of prayer and the word. It's a ministry that relies on the Holy Spirit, but it's also a ministry designed by God. Now, this is important. I've preached and Paul has preached to us in Ephesians that God is sovereign and he is sovereign in salvation, that the end is ordained by him and he has ordained it from the beginning, even before the foundation of the world. But do you know that God has also designed the means to get you there? That God has designed the means and God has so ordered it that the prayers of his people are effectual prayers. That our prayers are not in vain. That God uses our prayers to get people to the finish line. To get people to the starting line. To get people there. To save people. God has designed prayer as a means to the end. And so it's designed by him. So we trust him. We, we look to him. We, we hope in him. And this design includes not only does he work and help us to understand things in our minds, but he often gets to our minds through our hearts. He works in our hearts to change us, to transform us so that we would receive the food of God's word so that we would receive the teaching of his word and be changed by it. And so this ministry, it's an implied one that Paul is showing us, modeling for us. But it's an important one. This implied ministry also, though, is a dependent ministry. I've already mentioned that that we say that he relies on the Spirit, but it is a dependent ministry. And you see this in a few ways. He says, I bow my knees. I bow my knees. That is the posture of prayer. Now, there are different thoughts on the posture of prayer. Should we stand? Because in the Old Testament, there is this picture of prayer that happens when we stand, that, that even in the New Testament, we hear men lifting holy hands, standing. But we also have this bowing. But the posture itself, how we pray, is not the issue at hand for Paul. But rather what he is modeling for us is a holy reverence for God. The reason Paul bows his knees is because he fears God in a holy and reverent way. That God is the one who is over all things. That he is sovereign and good and he is holy and utterly unlike us. And so this is a posture. It's an attitude of prayer. An attitude, I should say, of worship. 
that this is the dependent ministry that we are to model. This is the dependent ministry that we have, this ministry of prayer, that we do so with reverence for our holy God. We have an attitude of worship. And so Paul says, for this reason, I bow my knees. And he does so before the Father. But there's also a warning about the posture that the scriptures give us and is worthy of mentioning. When we come to God in prayer, we can have the right posture, but if we have the wrong attitude, our prayers are in vain. You can come in and look holy. You can come in and you can fool your pastor. You can fool the elders. You can fool the deacons. You can fool your family. And you can even fool yourself. But if you do not have the right heart, your prayer is in vain. And so the posture matters because it is a dependent posture, but there's a warning here. Luke 18 is the great warning, isn't it, that Jesus even gives. It says in verse 9, that he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes to all or of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Brethren, we can pray with the right posture, but still not have the right heart. And there's a warning there, isn't there? Do not be like the Pharisee, the religious leader, who looked as if he had everything together, but did not know Christ, did not know God. Do not try to fool anyone, but rather be like the tax collector who knows, yes, I'm a sinner. I have failed in so many ways. But God, please, you be merciful to me. Now, in our passage in Ephesians, chapter 3, verse 12, Paul spoke about this boldness and this access with confidence that we have when we go to the Lord in prayer. We're not to presume anything. There are times when we pray and we can pray boldly. And there are people that I've heard pray with confidence, yes. And you just want to run through a brick wall with them. But their confidence is not in Christ. Their confidence is in themselves. Their confidence is in the fact that they know the right words. Their confidence is in how they think or how they feel. But friends, there are times when I pray And some of the best prayers I've prayed are when I feel completely weak and inadequate. Why is that? Because the confidence and the boldness that we have 
are not based in ourselves, but they're based in God. They're based in him. And so we're not to presume anything with how we speak to God. You can be loud. You can sound like you have it all figured out. But your heart is empty of a true love for God. Paul makes it clear his desire for them in that summary request I mentioned earlier. It's given to us in verse 19, the last part. His desire is that they would be filled with all the fullness of God. That you would be full of God, full of him. And that is our prayer for you. That is the prayer that the spirit has for us even today, that we would be full of God, filled with him and his glory. Well, it comes through a dependent ministry. But not only is this ministry implied and independent, it is also a well-resourced ministry, a well-resourced ministry. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, the Father who, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, In other words, Paul says when he prays, I I pray, I'm praying to, to the one who has it all. I'm praying to the Father. And he says this from whom every family in heaven and earth is named. It's a play on words in the original and it's pointing to the very fact that we all have a greater family that we're a part of. That the name on the back of the jersey doesn't matter if it's your family name. But even greater than that is that you belong to the one who has named everything. This this word named, it's this creative act that God has himself, that he is bringing into existence anything and everything that exists. And he has dominion over it. And the God who's brought the world into existence is the God who we call Father. Some of you come from families where you did not have a good father or a good mother. Some of you come from backgrounds where you think about your past and you think about your life and you think about all of the struggles and the heartache and how angry it even can make you. But if you belong to God, you have a father who has loved you with a love that we can't even fathom or imagine. That's what he's going to tell us later on in this passage. But but think of this. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, will also with him give you what? All things. We have a well-resourced ministry when we pray. Because the one to whom we pray has all things as his possession. For it is resourced by our Father. What matters the most is not that you have your family name, but rather you have the family name of God as your own. That you belong to Him. And that He is yours. And that your elder brother, the Lord Jesus Christ, has brought you to Him. 
But we see too that the father has this abundant, endless resource. Paul comes in prayer. I bow my knees. Why does he bow his knees before the father? Because it is the father who gives and grants requests according to the riches of his glory. According to the riches of his glory, we come to him in our poverty, but he has the riches. We might pray out of a sense of need ourselves, but we do so as those who are ready to receive the blessing that God provides. We may need, but we are not needy. We may have lack, but that is not because our shepherd hasn't provided it. Rather, we come to our God who provides all of our needs. We come to the one who will never allow us to lack because he has an abundant, endless amount of resources. We have everything in him. Brethren, do you believe that? Brother in Christ, do you believe that? Sister in Christ, do you believe that? Do you believe that you can come to God who has all things? That you can trust in him? That you can come to him? No, Paul says, for this reason. Why? What is the reason? Well, the reason is that Paul has everything that he needs in God. He has everything that he needs needs in Christ. He has everything. He's already given it. God has already given Paul everything. And so he comes asking. And so Christian, this is the hope that we have, that we can come to our father who gives everything that we need, that we can come to him with confidence, not in ourselves, but in him, that we can come as those who understand that we indeed are needy ourselves, but he is the one who is in control. He is the one who is sovereign. He is the one who is good. And we are dependent upon him. And we come as those who have something that no one can ever take away from us. They may try to take our voice. They may try to take our abilities. But as long as there is breath in our lungs, we are able to go to our God in prayer. Do you know this God, friend? Have you trusted in him? Have you given your heart to him? I pray that you would. Let's pray. Most gracious Father, we have looked to your word and we come in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, asking, pleading with you, Father, to use your word in the hearts of these who are gathered as the pastor, as the one who has proclaimed your word, I know, Father, that I have not done anything that will change anyone. But your word works. And so, Father, I plead with you to make it work even now. 
that you would save those who have not trusted in the Lord Jesus. And for those who have trusted in the Lord Jesus, I pray that this would change their prayer life as they are reminded of the great privilege of the Christian that we can always come to our Father in prayer. For it's in Jesus' name we ask this. And amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If God has used this message to influence you or you would like more information about our church, connect with us on the Peter Creek Presbyterian Church Facebook page. Remember to subscribe to hear more messages from Pastor Kelly Baldridge.